So it's a big Durban Amendment podcast, isn't it, James? It is. Talking Durban Amendment, talking Credit Card Competition Act. Uh, if you've maybe been living in a cave and are not familiar with the fact that the uh, you know Senate right now has an amendment uh, to a defense spending bill that would significantly regulate credit card processing costs, mm-hmm. um, that is happening. Let me just say this episode is is a little bit unique because you're, I think we I really think it's such a, a good episode to go through. Elena really breaks down the Durban Amendment and how that worked out because we have ten years of data on that. So how did that work right. out? Then she also talks about the Credit Card Competition Act and what that means, how it relates to the Durban Amendment, how it's different. Um, then I do a question from the field where I just talk about what does all this mean for the ISO and for the agent? Why, you know, because actually it would be short term, it would actually probably be a huge win for a lot of ISOs if this happened, but it sure. would be a long term significant down, downside to it. So I talk about that in questions in the field. And then Patty talked about the insiders. And the insiders, I just sort of go over the Credit Card Competition Act, what it's what it's going after, and some considerations that uh, we should we should be um, considering. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, right. Right. But um, this episode uh, is sponsored by NMI, NMI.com. Um, and if you're ready, James, I say let's go. Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with my good friend, Elena Smith. How are you doing today, Elena? Doing well. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Elena is CFO at Secure Bank Card. Uh, also, though, I think your title has kind of morphed into content creator on LinkedIn for the payments industry. Might be a more apt <laughs> title uh, at this point. But um, at any rate, we're, we're talking about a very important subject. So we have an interview that's going to come out this week, and then one's going to come out next week, where we're talking about this new uh, regulation, uh, the Credit Card Competition Act, I believe. I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's still the name now that it's an amendment, but we'll get to that. But um, we're talking about this impact. And so in today's episode, we're primarily going to focus on actually looking backwards a bit. So we have, uh, you know, Senator Dick Durbin, and he's kind of the primary driver of this. Well, of course, we have the Durbin Amendment. And so we're going to talk about the Durbin Amendment from 10 years ago. How did it work out? What are the lessons we can learn from that when we look at this new legislation and then also get Elena's thoughts a bit on um, this new one? But before we dive into that, Elena, give us a little context for those who maybe don't know who you are. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your backstory and and what you do. Okay. Uh, Well, we have a wholesale ISO, Secure Bank Card, and we like to say that we're the alternative to the big payment processors because we do everything in-house. And part of that, of course, is that we do our own merchant funding and billing. So because of that, it's really important that we stay on top of, you know, updates to interchange dues and assessments and everything because we're doing that all ourselves. So, of course, I want to stay current and all those things. And just because it's a wholesale ISO, too, and I have my hands in all parts of it, um, my husband and I both own it and end up doing a lot of different things on any given day. Um, learned a lot in the business that way. And so one of the things that I love to do now is share content on LinkedIn about all of our experiences in the business and just things in general about payments. Um, There's a lot to talk about in payments because things are always changing. And I didn't see a lot of conversation happening about it on LinkedIn. So I decided to start creating my own content and sharing that. Love it. Love it. And great content you've put on there. Thank you, Patty. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. For those of you, right, we'll just say right off the bat, if you have, if you're not following her on LinkedIn, you should. It's Elena Smith. Uh, if you just, you know, go on LinkedIn, you'll you'll find her. It's pretty easy uh, to find. So, all right. So obviously, we're going to talk about this new Credit Card Competition Act, but I thought it'd be really helpful, Elena, that we kind of look in the rearview mirror a bit. So, can you give our audience a little sense of the Durban Amendment? What what was it? Is it? And you know, how does it work? 
Sure. Well, the Durbin Amendment was passed in 2010, and the goal was to reduce interchange fees on pin debit transactions processed on cards by big banks. It was really specific about how they classified that. And they imposed this cap on both the per item fee of 21 cents and the discount fee. Um, they have a discount fee of five basis points. It also required issuers, regardless of their size, to enable pin debit routing um, so that they would have to have at least one backup unaffiliated network as an option. Um, the thought was that merchants would pay less for their fees, for their discount fees, and then they would pass these savings on to consumers. Which we know really didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, now that we have a little bit of history. You have a little bit of history there, but, but let's, if you don't mind, I'd love to talk a little bit about the rationale behind which banks are regulated under the Durban Amendment. Um, as I understand it, the criteria, I believe, was $10 billion when they first set that up. Exactly, Patty. So the interchange caps applied only to banks that had $10 billion in assets. And I guess the hope was that they'd capture a large enough part of the market share and then they would kind of leave the community banks and the credit unions um, to go business as usual. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was a really interesting thing that happened afterward. And that's that there was this huge advantage for credit card processing or credit card issuing banks rather to be small. Because mm -hmm. if you were under that threshold, then you didn't have to comply with those caps. And so we saw this whole crop of fintechs pop up and they created an app. They paired it with a debit card. They got the backing of a sponsor bank, an issuing bank. And the interchange rates on those were as high as ever. And they were making, you know, great income doing that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a that was an, an interesting aside that I had not realized until recently um, how that panned out. But. But, it's but true. you think about all those debit card products that have come out recently, mm -hmm. you know, exactly with the app with that are fintechs, and it makes perfect sense now. That's you know they saw an advantage and they went for it. Right, right, and it's also interesting because you know while ten billion dollars in twenty ten dollars seemed like you know a fairly decent cap um, in today's market, it's really not, and in fact as we'll get into when we talk about the new legislation, I think the cap there is a hundred billion. Right. 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 Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's interesting. I actually have a little bit of interesting insight on this one. Um, Elaine, I thought you might find this interesting. So just yesterday, uh, what was that? A couple of days ago, I had a big meeting with my team from ISOAMP, the statement analysis side, because we've done an integration with data Axel that we haven't like rolled out to our clients yet or whatever. But the idea initially was we wanted to be able to take like interchange tables and be able to pair those with information like um, MCC code, uh, you know, zip code, you know, um, whatever, number of employees, annual revenue, whatever, right? And be able to look for trends to better predict interchange when we don't have an interchange table. And one thing that I thought was so interesting relative to the Durban Amendment, I was actually shocked by the level of variance that exists for the percentage of debit that is regulated. Like, we would look at, for instance, we would take an MCC code like hair stylists, right? And we would look at like 300 hair stylists from all over the country. And we would see regulated debit of 93% all the way to uh, 12%. Wow. It was insane. And that's crazy. That's a really big problem because, you know, if you're trying to predict interchange, you know, like that's like the main, like that's the number right. one assumption, right? Well, it's like right. even among even among the exact same business type SIC code, you know, there's this massive spread. We're like, what in the world? Well, then we started digging into it and we're still actually digging into making this new algorithm. But what we found out was 
the highest correlation that we found to be able to predict it is how many miles away from a metro, from a metropolitan uh, zip code. I was going to say demographics. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was actually, ge- it was actually geographics. Geographic. Yes. And, yes. and then, but demographics played a, a smaller role because business mm-hmm. types that target older consumers versus younger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, younger consumers are much more likely to go to like mm-hmm. Chase or one of these banks that has more of a techie kind of feel to it. Right. But the, the biggest one was geographic. And I mean, the swing was so huge because in these uh, more rural markets, you know, you have a regional or a local bank that kind of dominates that market and they have less than 10 billion in assets. And so, right. you know, they don't have the regulated debt and it just seems Anything like- Anything goes, yeah. It just seems yeah. like such a stupid idea. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I was really amazed by that. And even even it seems like it's so much worse than it was last time I looked at those numbers three years ago. And I think people are starting to game the system a bit. The the percentage of regulated debit, I, I haven't run the full numbers yet. I'll do a I'll do a uh, podcasting on it at some point. But like, the drop is unbelievable. Like in the just the overall percentage of regulated debit that was like three four years ago versus today, it's a huge drop because of what you said. Banks have started to go, oh, so we have to structure ourselves such that we have less than ten billion in assets. Okay. Mm-hmm. We can figure that out. Easy enough. Yeah. Yeah, We can be small. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. All right. So, so let's, let's move on a little bit here. So the, the stated purpose of the Durban amendment, as you mentioned, it was ultimately to save merchants money. And the idea, the rationale was by saving merchants money, they're going to pass these savings on to the consumer. And so we're going to be able to save small businesses money and we're going to be able to save consumers money. So we've got 10 years of data now. In your opinion, Elena, how has this worked out? What are your insights on kind of where we're at with the Durban Amendment? Well, one of the interesting things that happened as well is that the big banks lost all that interchange income. All of a sudden now they're capped at this certain amount that they have to spend. So they have to make up for that in some other way. So what happened was on these consumer checking accounts where they had a debit account linked, those used to be free. Well, now we've got to make up for that income. So they started charging Right. for the fees for those accounts that were previously free. And then and maybe other fees, they started to have to mark up a little bit to be able to compensate for that. Now we're starting to sw- see that swing back the opposite direction, I think, as they started to get a lot of kickback on that. Um, and now you see them all saying, you know, we're back to no fees again. But I think that's one of the ways that they tried to make up for it. Yeah. Um, on the merchant side, I don't think that we saw the cost savings either. Um, the assumption was that these lower fees would lead to lower fees for the merchant services side. And you're assuming that everybody's on interchange plus, but actually some of our merchants, as we know, are flat rates. So for those merchants, they didn't see any savings. And then add in that very thing that you were talking about, the complexity of all the different, you know, interchange categories that are accepted and whether they know whether they're getting savings or not, are they enough savings consistently enough that they can pass it on to the consumers? I think it was just a little, it's a very narrow piece of card acceptance to assume that they're going to be able to pass that on. And then you have the whole small ticket factor as well. So you have that flat fee of 21 cents per item. And think about places like convenience stores where the average ticket is $5. Right. And you have this flat fee. What's the effective rate on that? You know, that's a lot higher than just having a regular interchange rate that you pass through. Um, So it didn't work out for merchants with lower average tickets at all. They have a higher effective rate. Yeah, yeah, the twenty-two cents on five dollars isn't that like the four point four percent effective rate, <laughs> right? Right, like yeah. just that, that math right? never works. That's one of my favorite conversations to have is trying to explain that you know somebody's looking yeah. at their statement, they have that many tra- they have a ton of transactions, the low average ticket. 
why is my effective rate, you know, four and a half percent? Right. Well, yeah. because you have that, it's just yeah. debit pass through. No. You know, it's one of my favorite stories, actually, Elena, in the industry was, um, I don't know if you were following this, but uh, I don't know how long ago this was, but um, Square came out with this announcement that they had partnered with Starbucks to provide payment processing under their flat rate model. And it was funny because um, Jack Dorsey had just said in an interview or whatever that they're not a payments company, they're a technology company. And he was like very clear, like we're hiring technology people, like payments. We, we know that eventually is going to go to, that's a zero sum game. You know, we're technology. And it was so ironic because then like the next week, here it is. They've decided to do all the payment processing for Starbucks, which is small ticket and has this really high cost with Durban. And all of us in the payments industry were kind of like, uh, that's really <laughs> stupid. Yeah. So they ran doesn't it make for, a lot of sense. I think they ran it for over 12 months. They had a 12 month agreement and they ran it for a while. And then, you know, eventually, of course, they came out and said, we're going to have to terminate this relationship. Because, I mean, they lost like, I think, $100 million or something on this oh because, my gosh. you know, they didn't yeah, have a flat I rate underwater. It. And it's like, you know, anyway, but I think that's interesting. It just has such a big impact on the small ticket. So, all right. So, so now let's talk about the implementation of the competition part. So you, you alluded to it a minute ago, um, you know, the, the, the cause this, this is also part of the uh, credit card competition act, the new one, but it was this idea of the Durban amendment was supposed to um, handle debit routing. And there was supposed to be this competition where you had to have an unaffiliated network. So maybe you could define a little bit for, for our audience. What is an unaffiliated network? What does that mean? And then how is that kind of, you know, played out? So yeah, this is the, the part of that original Durban amendment that suggests that you're supposed to have this unaffiliated network. They just had this new rule come out that um, said, that just clarified basically, um, if it's card not present debit, you still have to comply with the rule basically. Right. And now here we are, you know, over 10 years later that they're coming out with this clarification. And that might give us some insight into how this, if this does pass, what's really going to happen with it. Right. Right. How long right. is it going to take to implement? And, and wasn't and it, that's, uh, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you go no ahead, I'm just going to say, I mean, one of the things we're dealing with here too, and, and I sort of come at this from my, from my history of spending a lot of time covering the Fed as a reporter is there is uh, the, the regulatory process is so laborious. It takes so long they have to, you know, come up with a proposal, then get some, you know, preliminary com comments and then uh, finish the proposal, then get real comments. Then they have to, you know, have an implementation and, you know, put on top of that uh, something that I've shared in the past is that there's been um, a real shift in the Fed staff. A lot of the people who are responsible for uh, writing the original Durban Amendment uh, regulations have retired. And so you have a lot right. of new people in there that are saying, Trying oh, to figure out what they meant by it all. <laughs> right. I mean, that's and, and in fact, I think you see that in this new um, clarification that you mentioned, Elena, it's it's not of actually the regulation that they clarify, but their interpretation. You know, they have this right. interpretive um, tone that goes along with the regulation. Oh, by the way, we didn't interpret this correctly 10 years ago. Right. And now you only have, uh, what is it, eight months to comply, um, which is, you know, basically what they're saying, right? Because um, July, I think they're giving oh, a right. July yep. startup date. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, interesting to me that this new legislation now is sort of honing in on that exact 
part of the Durban Amendment, rowdy. And uh, so if you don't mind, um, could you give us a high level view of exactly what this new credit card competition act is trying to um, accomplish and how it's gonna affect the industry? Sure, I think the easiest way to explain it is that if a card holder comes and presents a visa, there has to be some other alternative network for that transaction to travel on that can't be Visa and it can't be MasterCard. So there has to be some other option. If they present a MasterCard, it cannot be Visa and it cannot be MasterCard. Visa and MasterCard cannot be the fallback for each other. There has to be some other, they call it unaffiliated network. And that's the big question is what is the unaffiliated network? Right, right. And, um, and, I guess what I'm also, I mean, so that's the similarity with the Durban Amendment. It would seem to me there's also a key difference, yes, right? Yes, yeah, the difference is that um, for the, the original Durban Amendment, we're talking about pin debit networks. Now we've transitioned over to the car, the credit networks and we're right. talking about them. And they've also, they have this $100 billion threshold in assets, which is specifically, it's like they're almost, you know, targeting Visa and MasterCard. They're specifically going after them and saying it can't be, you know, for Visa and MasterCard, these special rules apply and we need right. to do something different for those card networks. And and, and $100 billion, billion, I mean, we're talking about really only the money center banks, correct? I mean, I don't think we have a lot of regional banks that are that big. Well, this the other difference too is the other, the debit, the Durban Amendment with the debit card networks, they were talking about issuing banks and their assets. And here we're talking about card networks and their assets. So they're specifically targeting okay. Visa and MasterCard, knowing those are the only two card networks hmm. that meet those thresholds. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's, that. that's the, I, I wasn't, that's a clarification that's important. I and the, the other, I think the thing that's different is that the Durban oh. Amendment had these interchange caps. This one does not have any specific interchange right. caps. Right. And instead, we're just doing this, you know, this suggestion of an alternate network. And I think they hope that passively the interchange is going to go down. I don't know how that would work, but I right. think they want the same effect, but without trying to have this cap on interchange. And in fact, that's what they, you know, in the statements that they gave that uh, Durbin and Marshall gave when they introduced the, the amendment. And we, as we should tell people this, and I think I reported on this last week, this legislation was, was um, crafted back in July, but it's currently under consideration as an amendment to a massive defense spending bill. And as, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll digress. I, I'll go, I don't want to digress too much. I want to leave it to James. I know you have some questions, but yeah, just wanted to make that clarification that right. this is an act that is pending in the Senate and could come up for a vote soon. Yeah. And we'll hopefully, I think the timing will work out really well, actually, because when we do next week's episode, it'll be after the October 11th hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll it'll air right after that. So we'll be able to hopefully provide an update on that as well. So, so Elena, you know, we, we talked a lot about the Durban Amendment and its impact on the industry. Now we've kind of switched to this this new Credit Card Competition Act and, of course, as an, as an amendment to the defense bill. Let's say this thing passes. And I mean, I guess I should ask you, I mean, what do you think the odds are that it does pass would be one part of this question. But assuming that, you know, it does pass, at, whether it's now or in the future, what do you see as the as the primary impact on the payments industry as a whole? Um, well, as far as my chances of this thinking, you know, thinking that this is going to pass, I think I'm probably biased because honestly, I don't understand how it can pass. I think it's going to be like if it does pass, 
everybody's going to be like, now what, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> how do right. we actually implement and enforce this thing? But I think if it does pass, I think it's going to add more complexity, which we already have so much complexity and we have to, there's a lot that happens as part of a transaction. And I think the people who've come up with this um, legislation don't really understand all the right. moving parts that happen mm-hmm. as part of a, a payment transaction that flows through. Yeah. But as part of that added complexity, I think that we're going to only have more cost, And so things are going to go in the opposite direction of where they hope that we do. Um, I just, I'm not super optimistic about it. If you want to, you know, increase competition, I don't think that this is the way that you go about it. Yeah. And, and, and it's just as an aside, you know, like I was saying before, when they, when they introduce this legislation, they're like, oh, we're going to let other networks compete for this business. And therefore the prices are going to go down. But it seems to me they don't even know what those other networks are, do they? I don't think they do. <laughs> no, well, I mean, that, that was my next question. It's like, what, you know, what's, what's going to happen? You know, who's going to be this kind of quote unquote other network? And, and how is that even going to work? Do you have any thoughts, Elena? This is the question that really makes my head spin from the acquiring side, at least, because honestly, right. I don't know the issuing side as well as I know the acquiring side, but just even that one side of it, how would this really work in theory. So I came up with three options. Um, The first option would be that it has to be one of the pin debit networks, but I don't really know that that can work because pin debit networks are single message systems Mm -hmm. where your authorization and your capture is all in one, um, where the credit card networks are dual message, where those are separated. So that transaction doesn't actually get captured until the merchant batches out of their terminal. And that's not, that's very much unlike the pin debit networks. I don't know how that could, how one could swap and stand in for the other. I don't see how that would work. Um, One of the other possibilities, of course, is one of the other big card networks like Discover or American Express. And I guess that's a possibility, but um, I've seen some, um, you know, things come out from some of the financial institutions that say the infrastructure is not built to support more than one, um, you know, network or dual dual message system right. mm-hmm. um, when you're routing a transaction, which from the acquiring side, I believe that I don't, I'm, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's making my head hurt, yeah. you know, to think about how that transaction could just go to a different card network. And then how right. does that work for the issuing bank and how right. they earn their interchange? Where does the interchange go? Do they still earn it? Mm-hmm. Are they still going to give all the rewards to the cardholder? Are they still going to, you know, honor that transaction and all and do all the things for that cardholder in the same way if it's flowing across Discover Rails instead of Visa Rails. And then part, there's chargebacks too. Exactly. Imagine the imagine. I mean chargebacks are already, I didn't even think about that, Patty, but imagine yeah. the mess that is now chargebacks because uh-huh. all the rules are different across the card yeah. rails for different card networks for chargebacks. Right. And now right. you're introducing that as well as a complexity. And then the third thing I think is just some other alternate network. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they have something in mind, but maybe fed um, now. <laughs> I don't, I don't know of another yeah, right. network that can do all the things that the card networks do. So I yeah. don't know what that would look like. Okay. Now I, my head is spinning. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to me, I think what's so, um, so interesting about this. I was, I was reading the legislation and I just thought it was so ironic. I would love to actually be at the hearing on the 11th and just present one interesting comment. And that is, you know, does anybody know the definition of a network? Mm-hmm. A, a network by definition is something that ties two things together. Like it's a network for a reason because you have a consumer with a visa card 
which is tied to a bank that has the money that needs to go to a bank that's going to get the money. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just say, well, we want to run it over. Slice and, that in half and insert like, something else. <laughs> well, wait, like, what do you mean? It's, it's a, like by definition, you can't say, we want to go across two different networks. That's not possible by uh-huh. definition. You might expand the capabilities of a single network, but mm-hmm. like by definition, you can't take a transaction from one network and decide to move it to a completely different network because by definition, that other network isn't going to be connected to the dots to the, that needs to be to connected. Like right. it's a network. Like that's what the word means, you know? So that's one uh, of the things I thought about too, is that before they introduce any of this, I need you to prove to me that you understand how a payment flows through a network and right. all of the things that are involved in that, because mm-hmm. clearly right. there's no understanding there. Yeah. Maybe we should send this podcast to uh, the Senate. <laughs> there you Durbin. go. It's part of the commentary, right? Who, who do we know that knows Dick Durbin? We got it. We need to. We need to go to our Rolodex here. But um, yeah, I think I think that's really crucial. Um, Elena, what you know, any impact yet on kind of ISO agent or you know, should they be thinking about anything? Should they be doing anything, or is it just kind of staying informed? I'm just kind of curious to your thoughts of like how this is going to play out for kind of more. I of the think lower it's level. definitely at this point just staying informed. I think yeah. if this does by some long shot pass that I think it'll be a lot of sitting around and waiting and figuring out how to actually implement it. Similar to that federal rule that just came out for the Durbin amendment for the, you know, affiliated, unaffiliated networks. Um, I think it would take them a very long time to figure out how to implement it. So I don't really think that there's anything that we need to do other other than just stay tuned to what's happening next. And I think it's good to stay tuned. And also if, if possible to kind of, you know, keep that in your mind for, conversing with your law law lawmakers you know what i'm saying i mean ISOs and agents out there if they have a connection with their lawmakers they really ought to be be doing something proactive because the the way the the legislative process works this amendment if this amendment is approved at the senate well then it has to go back to the house for more votes and, and 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 negotiation so there is plenty of room in there for for this industry to let lawmakers know what this legislation potentially could do. And I think that's really important, Patty. I think it is important for us to speak up as an industry. That's one Mm -hmm. thing that I haven't, I've been a little bit surprised that we haven't heard a lot from the card side of the card acquiring side, specifically Mm -hmm. of the industry, all the commentary that I've seen has been from the financial institution side on the bank issuing side. And I think it's really important that we speak up and say, this isn't, we don't even know how this would be possible and we know how this works. So I think our voices should be heard. And I will say that MasterCard did make a statement about a week or two ago in which it said, you know, uh, it was the, I believe it was the CFO and he was in a conference. I I wrote about this in the green sheet. Um, He was on a conference call where he said, you know, everybody's talking about equity. What about equity on our side of the thing? Right. You know, we we spent a lot of money building these networks, making them safe and secure. And now you want us to like just let anybody come in and take these transactions? Yeah, well, well, um, yeah. And, and I think so about I credit you, MasterCard for saying that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, think about the opportunity here too. I mean, it's it's going to be insane as far as the scramble if this actually passes. That you know, maybe it's Discover, American Express, something else. Like somebody is going to say, 
I mean, just look at the debit networks. I mean, my goodness, I think about companies mm -hmm. like Shazam and others that I know who have, you know, I mean, they were like, wow, this is like the best thing ever. Right. <laughs> like we got to jump in and you know what I mean? But, but even then it's been very difficult and challenging because again, the technical infrastructure, infrastructure. just doesn't yeah. exist to do this seemingly impossible thing of taking, you know, a transaction from one network and just saying, we're going to run it on another network. It just, that doesn't even make any logical sense. So I think it'll right. be very interesting uphill battle, you know, to see where, to see where this goes. And frankly, I think it's because of that, that Visa and MasterCard haven't actually been even more vocal because I, I think, in, I think if I'm Visa and MasterCard, I'm thinking there's two possible outcomes of this. The first most, most likely out. Well, of course, the most likely outcome is it doesn't pass. The second most likely outcome is nothing happens, right? Because like this isn't really possible. So mm -hmm. something very unusual is going to have to happen. It's going to take a long time. And they're in this interest, interesting position that this is specifically targeting them. So they can't, they can come out and I guess try to defend themselves. But for them to say right. this can't work is not as effective as us on the card acquiring side of things as a whole in the industry. And, you know, maybe processors coming out and saying right. this doesn't work because this is against them. They're trying to go right. against the duopoly of their, you know, duopoly of Visa right. and MasterCard. And right. they're just kind of, they would be perceived as defending themselves. So I kind yeah. of understand yeah. that they're not coming out super aggressively because that's a good point. It might be perceived that they're just, you know, they're, they're against this because they have something to right. lose, but right. they're yeah. against this because it doesn't work to your point, James. Well, and I think, yeah. and I think what's an interesting, interesting other option that could happen is, Let's say that like somehow all the stars align here and Durbin gets what he wants and there's this third entity of some kind that decides they're going to jump in. I don't see there being 50 other entities. I see like one, right? right. Mm -hmm. What is this one going to do? Are they going to slash interchange by 50%? No, they're going to slash it by five basis points. <laughs> this, is a, yeah. this, is a, this is a game of like massive scale. So they're going to get into a competition per se with Visa and MasterCard, and it's going to be the exact same thing that Visa and MasterCard have been doing for years. They're going to say, "Hey, let's kind of let's kind of compete with each other, but not too much." <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I I just don't see it really being quite. It, when I first saw it, I was kind of like, "Oh, this is earth shattering," you know. And and it would be an an insane disruption to our industry. But the more I thought about it, I was kind of like, I mean, what's like? I don't see any scenario where this is in any way going to solve the objective that it's trying to solve. I just see zero right. path. I think right. the right. very, very, very best case scenario is we get Visa, MasterCard and something else that ends up being a lot bigger than it is now that is charging virtually the same rates as Visa, MasterCard would charge of interchange. But then right. those that third network would also have to go out and market itself. Right. And you exactly. Know, I mean, you have to have the acceptance side right. of it, which yes. we know how long that takes, that takes. to build up. Yes. Right. Decades. Right. Yes. Right. Yep. So anyway, well, Elena, I think one of the really important ways for our audience to stay in the loop on this would be to follow you on LinkedIn. So just uh, tell our audience, maybe if you want to share about how they can find you on LinkedIn and any other things you want to share about how to learn more about you and what you do. Sure. You, sure. Um, most of the content that I share on LinkedIn is under my personal profile. So that's Elena Smith, um, E-L-A-I-N-A. And then we also try to share some content as well under our, our company uh, webpage, Secure Bank Card. Awesome. Well, Great. Elena, thank, thank you. you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your insights with us about this, uh, all this craziness happening. Seems like there's always something crazy happening in our industry, which, which makes it <laughs> fun and always interesting. always something to talk about. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being here.
So Patty, of course, this episode is brought to you by NMI.com, but NMI also owns iriscrm.com. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. today I want to talk about Iris as the operating system for the ISO. Yeah, that's um, a good way to put it. It is. You know, that's really what they do. And I think depending on your, your journey, you need to make sure you have the infrastructure. So if you're going to become, let's say, a retail ISO, and you're right. like, well, wait a second, now I got to pay my residuals out to my agents, right? Well, what am I do? Spreadsheets? Please don't. Um, your agents are going to want a portal they can log into. They're going to want to see the details of the transactions right. and how the residual is calculated. Iris has got you covered there. They have the infrastructure for that. Um, you go up and say, well, now I want to be a wholesale ISO. Well, now you got to deal with the underwriting process. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, um, Iris has got you covered there. They've got the operating system for that, right? So right. they have all the infrastructure. You can implement, customize, integrate with underwriting departments from all over the industry. So if you're looking for infrastructure for your ISO, no matter what it is, go to Iris crm.com make sure you check it out this is questions from the field brought to you by ccsalespro.com the leader in merchant sales training and technology if you are an individual merchant sales professional visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, in Questions from the Field today, I actually want to talk about um, more of the impact of the, you know, this regulation on ISOs and agents directly Mm -hmm. um, and the way I would see it playing out that I think is interesting. So, one of the things we haven't really talked about is profitability for our industry. And so what we have to understand is this is a two-edged sword right now because I actually have talked to several ISO execs about it. And it's funny because they're worried about the wrong thing. Um, Their their concern is, you know, oh my goodness, this is going to slash our profits. No, no, no. This, if if everything worked out exactly as, as Senator Dick Durbin hopes it will work out, what's going to actually happen is your cost of interchange is going to drop like a rock. So mm-hmm. you've got all these merchants on, you know, cash discounting, dual pricing, surcharging, flat rate pricing, and tiered pricing, all those accounts, whatever the, the cost drops is going to be an increase in margin. And so you don't need to be worried about this from a margin perspective. This would be a windfall profit for our industry because, for, you know, fortunately for us, or unfortunately in this case, the Senate has no idea how this works. And right. so they don't understand that merchants don't always get the, the true cost passed through to them. So this is not really a profit concern. And even for those that are on interchange plus, I mean, the plus is still going to stay the same. The interchange is going to drop. So <clears throat> this is not a profitability thing. There's only two reasons that this is a problem for ISOs and, and agents. Um, the immediate concern is the disruption to the overall technology like infrastructure of the industry and -hmm. what that would do to a, an industry that already is frankly a bit crippled from legacy infrastructure. That's, uh, you know, unnecessarily complex. Right. Um, And that's really the concern is, you know, what does this do? You know, I think about issues with, um, you know, just recently this issue with Clover. I don't know if you saw that, but Mm -hmm. you know, Clover had some crazy downtime. Right. Yeah. You know, you think about issues like that. Imagine if issues like that were happening, you know, every week, you know, one week it's PAX, the next week it's deja vu, the next week it's Valor. Then, you know, I'm not saying necessarily that would happen. I'm just saying that's the kind of thing that we would be worried about is that, yes, sure. okay, we have to, we have to put in a third network that isn't even really a separate network. We have to make one big network where we can route transactions across different networks randomly 
mm-hmm. based on who knows what kind of logic that's going to run on a computer somewhere. And, and so that, that uncertainty would create a lot of technical issues. Technology issues, right? I mean, yes, yes. yes. And so that, that would, you know, that could significantly compromise core underlying systems that we take for granted in the payments industry. I mean, like today, you know, when you go to swipe a, a card, when somebody's just running their Visa card on a terminal that's been working pretty well or a point of sale system, I mean, we kind of take for granted that it's going to work. Right. You know, um, right. this would call all of that into question and it would be, well, is it going to work? We don't know. And now again, it would probably take, who knows, five, six, seven years before it has to take like at least would, five years, right? To even right. get a network up and have, have all the protocols in place and right. so forth. But yeah. even but even if we did, it would just be a disruption that we have just frankly never even seen before. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. something that I can't even, you know, like Elena was even struggling to to articulate what it would mean because we don't know what it would mean. I mean, it would be right. insane um, because there's just all kinds of systems that are built on top of this, you know, core logic that, you know, Visa or MasterCard or Discover, whoever, American Express, you know, it's like it's a network. I mean, you got three parties, right. you have an issuing bank, you have an acquiring bank and you have a consumer and like, it just, it all works, you know? Right. And right. this has been going on for decades. So changing something like that is, is a huge thing. So that's, that's a, an immediate concern, immediate meaning like five years or whatever. The long-term concern is just this idea of regulation entering our industry in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when you look at a, a country like for instance, Canada and Canada has a special uh, law for ISOs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's regulated. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not as highly regulated, but then if you look at maybe um, France, a lot of the European countries, um, Britain and things like that, they actually have pretty significant regulation there um, that's, put in, that's put a lot of pressure. And so it's kind of more of this slippery slope yeah. of we don't want our industry regulated uh, because when that happens, you know, how many of you listening have recruited people from the mortgage industry over the last five, six, seven years because mm-hmm. the Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Act and other things that came out regulated that industry to the extent that people that were selling in that industry could no longer really make very good money. And so they left. Right. So right. that's the slippery slope is that, you know, how long is it going to take for, you know, the Senate to realize that this, you know, Durban Amendment and then, and then let's say the Credit Card Competition Act passes, you know, how long will it take for them to realize, oh, wait a minute, you know, Square and Stripe and PayPal and all the acquirers, they just kept all this extra money because we lowered yeah. the cost of interchange. And they'll say, well, wait a minute, I guess we need to regulate them so that we mm-hmm. make sure that they pass the savings on to the merchant. So, and it just starts steam like, it like snowballs. Yeah. Yes. So that, yeah. that is, so I wanted to kind of clarify that because I think for our audience, a lot of them might be thinking, you know, they hear the, the interview and it's like, well, why does that matter for me? Well, that this is why it matters for you. So right. keep these things in mind. And again, stay in the loop. Follow me on LinkedIn, follow the podcast, follow Elena and other industry professionals. So you can really understand that and make sure you tune in next week. We're going to talk to James Huber. We're actually about to record yes. it right now, but we're going to talk to James Huber. We're going to put it out next week and get his take as an attorney on all of this legislation as well. So I really wanted to take a couple of full weeks on this because I talked about it, Patty. We both talked about it at the beginning of the year. Yes, we did. This was going to be the year that regulation was going to be a major topic. You heard it here first, folks. And yeah. uh, and, and it's really, it's panning out and we really need to stay on top of this. I, yeah. I, I really feel like if we, you know, I feel like Durban Amendment was able, they were able to slip that through because nobody was paying attention. Right. And yeah. I want everybody to be paying attention. Yeah, I agree hundred percent, Patty. Good stuff. So yeah, there you James. go. There's our thoughts. 
This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, so James, as we just discussed with Elena, um, Senator uh, Richard Durbin's at it again. Yes. Um, he has um, hatched a plan along with Senator Roger, uh, Roger Marshall, I believe his name is, a Kansas right. Republican. They've hatched a plan to bring new credit card regulations for a vote on the floor of the Senate. Um, the plan is to um, attach it as an amendment to a sweeping defense bill that's now before the Senate. Um, and uh, we discussed this briefly, but I sort of wanted to just go into what it all means. And it's yeah. uh, basically the amendments they're offering mirrors the Credit Card Competition Act, which they um, introduced in July. And that bill would require the Fed to issue regulations, ensuring merchants get to choose which networks process their credit card payments. And only one of those networks can be Visa or MasterCard. Now, um, who the alternates are is anybody's guess. I would suggest it might be the regional EFT networks, but as we discussed with Elena, that could have problems. Um, and then, of course, there's Discover and Amex. Like the Durban Amendment, the rules would only apply to curb cards issued by the largest banks, those with over $100 billion in assets. Um, but, of course, those banks do issue, the, at this point, the majority of credit cards. Now, I don't think that... The, the industry is in imminent danger of this bill getting pushed through on the back of a defense spending bill. Um, that does seem a bit of a desperate move. It does seem a bit. And, you know, the way the way the legislative process works, even if it did pass, it would still have to be approved, you know, go through a whole approval process in the House and, right. and then re revoted in the Senate. But I wanted to just, you know, give a couple of insights and considerations for people to just hold on to. And that is, you know, Senator Durbin is a powerful member of the Senate. Right. He's the second ranking member of the Senate. So it's his job to whip members into alignment on various votes. Uh, on, the, on the flip side, Democrats are not as good at towing the line as senators on the other side of the aisle are, as we've discovered right. in the past. Sure. Now, this is part of a spending bill and spending bills are generally immune from the filibuster rule. But there are exceptions, and an opponent could challenge the amendment as being non-germane um, to to defense. Although what does non-germane non mean? It's 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 not um, it's not like it. It's not a it's not affiliated. It's not associated. It's not the, like the, you know, like the connection the connection of that amendment to the bill that's it's on the back of yeah, isn't the, strong enough. Isn't strong enough. Right. I mean, you know, if it were a um, say it were a banking piece of banking legislation or financial reform, as was the case with the Durban Amendment back in 2010, it's a lot easier to attach something about credit cards onto a bill about financial reform because right, right. the two go together. Yes, understood. Okay, then and they what they did to make this bill quote germane to defense is they asked for a study of the interchange fees paid by military commissaries. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's really, it certainly is not in any way, um, you know, an, an equal comparison to talk about the interchange and, and say that because of the interchange paid by military personnel, 
that somehow that that warrants that they, we put this on the back of a defense bill, even though it impacts the interchange, everybody pays. Right. Exactly. Clearly, it's a political move to try to get the amendment. Passed. It's clearly a, a middle. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, debate on this particular spending bill is slated for October 11th. Um, so we should, you know, tune back in. <laughs> yes. yes. Next week to find out what happened. I think it's worth noting that Marshall is the only co-sponsor of the bill in the Senate. There are no other Democrats or Republicans that have signed on for the bill. Um, a companion bill, a similar bill has been introduced in the House. It was introduced in late September by Congressman uh, Peter Welch, who's a Democrat from Vermont, and Lance Gooden, who's a Republican from Texas. Okay. Not surprisingly, some of the largest merchants, including Walmart and Target, have sent letters to members of Congress urging enactment of the Credit Card Competition Act, yep. which is why during our interview with Elena, I suggested we should be doing the same thing. You know, acquirers and ISA should yeah. be doing the same thing. The Electronic Payments Coalition, which I think is uh, the only lobbying group that seems to be saying anything about this, and it's an it's a Washington-based lobbying group that represents Visa, Mastercard, and a lot of the largest banks. It's um, came out with a um, with a statement the other day, um, suggesting that um, convenience store using convenience store industry data and showing that prices at convenience stores have gone up dramatically while interchanges remain relatively stable over the last few years. Right. And here are a few examples, which I thought were really interesting. ICE is up, the cost of ICE at convenience stores is up 262%. A cup of joe is up 170%. And food service, you know, subs, burgers, up 120%. They're so basically what they're saying is, you know, convenience stores, you're complaining about interchange, right. but you're raising your prices far more than interchange is impacting you. Well, well, and I think the larger takeaway, right, is that it, supply chain issues yes. right now dwarf any potential issue related to payment processing. I mean, now again, Agreed. not maybe not necessarily for the business owner themselves, meaning obviously there is a big cost associated with the with the interchange and all of that for them. But the idea is this idea that somehow it's going to reduce the cost for the consumer is mm -hmm. just ridiculous when you look at this data because obviously that even if it did reduce it you wouldn't even notice because the interchange isn't going to drop that much it's going to drop a little tiny bit maybe but right. you know meanwhile you have all these other supply chain issues and things that are driving the, the prices up for consumers in a, in a significant way right but you know i think this is just like some some really interesting information that people really need to hold on to and i really think it's incumbent upon our industry to let our voices be heard. Great stuff, Patty. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.